so ghostwriting people, I feel like are kind of like really either morbidly curious about ghostwriting or they're like incensed when they realize that there's <laughs> this thing that happens where one person writes a book and someone else's name goes on it. And I, I've done a ton of ghostwriting in my life and I've never talked about it publicly because it's weird and it's hard to explain to people. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, writers. One of the questions I get the most often about the work I do goes like this. People ask, have you ever ghostwritten a book? <laughs> if you know what ghostwriting is, you probably, like most people, have a very deep curiosity about it. If you don't know what ghostwriting is, you might be like I was maybe 15 years ago when I was like so shocked to find that not all authors sit down and type out the words to write their own books. And on today's episode, I want to introduce you to a person who's not only an important part of the Find Your Voice team, but also someone who has ghost written several books. I wanted to ask her questions about what it's like to be a writer in her own right and also to write for other people. I wanted to ask her if her process is different. And I wanted to ask her all of the questions that you always all ask me about what it's like to ghostwrite. Yes, I have ghostwritten a handful of books. Ashley has ghostwritten almost as many books as I have, and she has a lot of wisdom to share. So I wanted to introduce you to my new internet friend and also a, a member of the Find Your Voice team. She's one of our new Prepare to Publish coaches, Ashley Abercrombie. Do you have a sense that you have a story you want to write, but you aren't sure you want to publish it? Or maybe you're definitely sure you don't want to publish, but the idea of writing your personal story sounds like something you might like to try. Finally, finally, I have a resource for you. For over a decade, myself and my team at Find Your Voice have been supporting authors who have powerful stories that they want to publish in the format of a book. And over all those years, I've watched as the power of writing down a personal story brought clarity to these authors, brought healing to their lives, and ultimately helped them take back their lives from critics, from past mistakes, from a culture that wanted to define them or put them in a box. But until now, I didn't have a great resource for someone who wanted to write their story, not for publishing, but for taking back their power. So if that's you, this is exciting news. Right now, you can go to writeyourstory.com and for free, you can download a simple worksheet that's going to walk you through the beginning steps of outlining your personal story. All you have to do is complete the questions on the worksheet, watch the videos, and I'll teach you not only how to tell your story, but how to take back your life by telling your story. I'm going to teach you how to know what's really interesting about your personal story, how to know where the story starts and where it stops. And I'll even teach you a trick that the pros use to take their writing from good to great. Don't wait another day to write your story and take back your life. Head to writeyourstory.com right now and download your free worksheet. Hi, Ashley. It's great to chat with you today. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, there's a bunch of things I want to cover today with you. You and I share this in common, that we have been writing in some capacity for many years, and that has many times meant 
not writing our own words, but writing for someone else, which brings a whole different kind of unique angle to what it means to find your voice. But I guess that's a great place to start with the question Mm -hmm. that we always start these conversations with, which is what does it mean to you to find your voice? I love this question because I am so very passionate about helping people find their voice because it took me so long to find mine. <laughs> I think yeah. that I love to say that I had a PhD in pretending. I was just like a master performer. <laughs> <laughs> My entire life was driven by performance and pretending. And I think that I always felt the pressure to be someone else or to be better than I was or to constantly, you know, put on airs or shrink myself down. And it took me a very long time to find my voice. So for me, if I could sum up what that means, it means to be a person person of integrity. And here's what I mean about that. Sometimes we think about finding our voice only in the public sector, in the public space. We think like, oh, we need to find what is our voice in, you know, when we're speaking to crowds or we're speaking on, you know, platforms, what does that mean? But for me, finding your voice is being able to be vulnerable and honest and consistent in all the different spaces that you're in. So from your home to your friendships, to a faith community, if you have one, to the a book club, a meetup, you know, whatever you're a part of, yeah. school, if that's what you're doing. Um, and then also, and that just extends to whatever public spaces you're a part of. And so for me, I wanted to be a person of integrity who could take my mask off, be honest about my life as appropriate in different situations, and really be genuine about who I am. So that's what finding your voice means to me. That's so great and interesting because I've not, you know, all the times I've asked this question, I've not heard it explained that way, but it rings true to me for so many different reasons. And one thing that comes to mind is a therapist was explaining to me once the difference between vulnerability and transparency. And Mm. I wonder if it kind of applies to this here, but she was saying like a lot of people mistake a lot of people when they're talking about vulnerability, what they really mean is transparency. So when we Mm. say the word vulnerability, we think that means like sharing everything with everyone. And what she was saying is actually vulnerability is just being who you are everywhere you go and that there will be different yes. layers of your shell, yourself that you share with different people. So in the in the public sector on your Instagram or whatever you publish in a book, mm-hmm. you know, will be you, authentically you, but that doesn't mean that you have to share every single detail of your life with every single person who's reading versus your yes. your most intimate relationship with a partner or with a best friend or whatever is authentically you through and through, but there may be information you share in those closer relationships that's much more transparent. It's like a She explained it like a sliding glass door to me, like someone can see in and they can see everything. Mm. And that was so helpful for me. I see a a strong connection between that explanation and what you're talking about, that idea that, you know, we're the same no matter where we go. We're the same, the same, even though we might not say the same things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I love how your therapist explained that because I agree. And that takes so much pressure off of us. You know, I got so tired of trying to please people and trying to show up and be what I thought people wanted me to be, which half the time is wrong anyway, because we make assumptions about what people sure. want and expect from <laughs> us, you know, and we put our projections onto them and our presumptions onto them. And so often I, I felt like, gosh, every time I turn up somewhere, I never feel at home in my own skin. And yeah. for me, I really want to make that journey of just like, I am myself all the time and not everyone's going to like that. But you know what? Overall, people tend to respond better to that because we are honestly who we are. Like what we say is what we mean. And I think that that is, you know, what more of the world needs. And we don't have to adjust who we were created to be in order to fit some standard or to please some person. We actually do get to show up and be ourselves. And that is what people need. Yeah. What role for you has writing played 
in figuring out who is the authentic you that's going to be showing up these various places? Mm-hmm. So I have been writing since I was a little girl, literally. I started writing at a very young age in elementary school. I got my first first book award when I was in a fifth grade at the state level. I, I was born and raised in North Carolina. Um, I wrote a book, a little mini book about how to help kids deal with divorce, even though my parents had never had a divorce until way later in my life. Oh, wow. um, but I wanted to, to help kids process pain. And that's because writing has always been a safe space for me to process pain. And so it typically is the first place I go when I need to process something that I'm afraid to share with others or mm-hmm. when I need to, you know, out, it might come out in fiction. It might come out in poetry. It might come out in prose. It might come out in just a, a full throttle uh, word dump. <laughs> but writing it has always felt like the through line of my life and the safe place of my life. And yeah. it's only been, you know, in the last, you know, 10 years that I've really started putting myself out there in the public space when it comes to writing. But prior to that, it was, it was just my safe place to find my voice and to be vulnerable and to say the things that you're not supposed to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, same, same, same. You and I share this in common too. I know from our conversation a few weeks ago that we have both, and and also what you just shared about winning that first book award, but we have both been writing for about as long as we can remember and, mm-hmm. and have always felt more or less, I won't put words in your mouth, but for me, I have felt more or less like I'm pretty comfortable owning the title of writer, even if it was kind of secret. Yes. But I know mm-hmm. there are so many people who don't feel as comfortable owning that title. And we talk a lot on the show about why you know, why we have drawn a a circle around this small group of people that we call writer and everyone else has to be excluded. Do you, in your work with writers Mm. over the years, have you seen, what have you seen about that? Like, you know, have you watched people struggle with owning the identity of writer and, and why do you think that is? Such a good question. Well, yes, I do think that I see people struggle with it. And I wonder if it has more to do with the social media world that we're living in. Because prior to that, you could have a hobby like writing and call yourself a writer without that being your job. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And I think there is this public pressure now that, you know, you have to have these certain accolades, or you have to have this certain pedigree, or you have to have this many people reading it or watching it. And people are getting so consumed with stats and figures, and especially in the publishing world, because they, they actually do matter. So it's not we can't pretend that they don't. But at the same time, they can't drive our work. I mean, I remember when I first started my blog, the only people who signed up to read it were my best friend, my husband and my mom, like (laughs) three people were reading my blog. And and honestly, it was a trash blog. So I, I'm kind of glad (laughs) at the time it was not very good. But I do think that we have to sort of stop letting numbers and letting societal titles drive us. And for me, you know, I didn't have the the pleasure of finishing college. So I don't have a pedigree. Does that make sense? I have yeah. 20 years of dedicated experience. Overall, I've written 11 books. I mean, I've got so much, you know, going in the writing field. But if you put me on paper next to somebody else with a pedigree, you would never even consider looking at my resume. Do you know? Yeah, um, yeah, so I, I think do. that we kind of have to just go, I, I am a writer. This is what I was born to do. If no one ever pays me to do it, I'm going to do it because it's in me to do it. And I will not go to my grave not doing it. So I think we each have these beautiful gifts and these wonderful capacities to do things. And we are, they're born in us. And yes, we have to mature them. We have to sow into them. We have to grow them. But at the same time, we're just born with it. It's the thing that we're created to do. And we need to, to pay attention to that and sow more into that. Yeah. And I think it's so important for us to be able to put off. Well, I'll say this, that one of the things that I have realized, and I'm guessing you've seen this too, is that writing is a human instinct Mm. because writing is a form of Mm. communication. 
it's the thing that you're talking about where writing is a place where you go to process Mm -hmm. is human instinct. That's right. When you talk to most people, unless we have an early experience around writing that really makes us count ourselves out, most of us have a private urge to kind of record things like to do lists. We make a grocery list. We sit down and, you know, just jot down the top things that are on our mind. Like, you know, we have an urge to journal, to keep a diary, whatever you would call that journal or diary or just like a daily log. I was talking with someone recently who had been through a really traumatic experience who was saying she had this like compulsive feeling that she just needed to get the details down. She needed to like Mm. see the facts on the paper. And that was kind of what kept her afloat during that time. So I think that's why it's so important that we put off this idea that only certain people get to be writers, only certain people deserve to be writers. And even, you know, your comment about pedigree is so important because regardless of whatever pedigree you do or don't have, I feel like we always have this idea that we need something else. And so, and if we count ourselves out of this activity, then we miss out on that very human instinct and human urge to kind of see ourselves on the paper. Yes, you are really saying some things. And I'm so glad that you have this podcast and can help people process that because you're right. I never thought about the recording aspect, but you're so right. We make lists, we make notes. It's kind of like when we count out creative people, we think creativity looks a certain way, but we forget people with an administrative gift or organization. Like that is also a creative gift. Like it is amazing that an accountant can sit down and do what they do with numbers. Like we can be creative in so many different ways. And I think that what you're saying is really encouraging to let people know, you know, that writing doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to publish a book to call yourself a writer or have a blog that a hundred thousand people read. Like that's not what writing is. (laughs) So I, I really love that and just the human instinct, that compulsion to do it, man, that's really powerful. Is that something that you have kind of coined on your own or did you learn that somewhere? Is that an idea and a theory you have? Because it's it's tried and true, but just wondering where that came yeah, from. Yeah. I mean, it, really from my own experience is where it mm. came from because I, I mean, I like you have always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to write. I always wanted to like get paid to, to write books. Mm-hmm. And my career took a very winding path because when I was young, people said to me, you can't make money being a writer. So you'll have to figure out a way to make money and then you can write on the side. So I became a teacher and you know, I'm like, I have nothing but admiration and pure respect for teachers. It was not the profession for me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I taught in the public school system for about three years. And I, I was, what happened was I was looking around me watching how other people were way better at this job than I was and way more engaged. And I just felt like, you know what, I can't, I can't do this. I've got to take the leap and try to, you know, make it happen as a, an author. And I quit my full-time job and started working on my writing. And even though the act of writing was so comfortable and comforting to me because it had been something I'd been doing my whole life, I kept bumping up against this feeling like, you know, I don't know anything about the publishing industry. I like you have a degree from like a, you know, sorry to my alma mater, but like a no name (laughs) liberal arts university in Washington state, you know, like not anything anybody would have ever heard of. And I just felt like, gosh, I'm like in every possible way I'm lacking as Mm. lacking in credibility as someone who can be an author. And I fought against that for, I have for most of my career in fighting against the deep feeling that I knew I had something I wanted to share and also feeling like, oh, I could put this down and no one's ever going to read it or care. And now I meet authors, uh, uh, not authors. I mean, I I say that word, but I 
meet people who are aspiring authors or who are writers or who are terrified to say they're writers who feel very similarly, who are like, I've got this story and I really want to share it, but it seems stupid. It's frivolous. It's dumb. It's Mm self-indulgent. Nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to care. Why should it matter? Mm. And what I want to do is empower and equip those people to be able to share those stories in whatever way feels right to them. Yes. I love your heart for that. And I share it. I I have led many writing cohorts and same thing. I will sometimes be listening when we do writing exercises and, you know, in some of those writing exercises, there's usually a timer where you're writing for five to 10 minutes and some type of topic or some sort of writing prompt. And then at the end of it, when they're reading their work, I'm just astounded that they would not call themselves a writer. I'm like, this is incredible work. And it is such a great joy to be able to encourage people in that because it's true. We get so stuck in our own head. And, you know, maybe we have not had the courage or the opportunity to be able to share our work or allow others to hear it. And when you receive that kind of encouragement and feedback, it really does help people recognize like, oh, I am a writer. And I do think there could be something here with gender in the same way that many women don't call themselves speakers or um, preachers if they're in the faith field, because, you know, they they have never been allowed to or never giving access to a platform to be able to speak, but are incredible communicators. And so they won't yeah. call themselves speakers. And so I also wonder if there's a gender piece here when it comes to both writing and speaking, that women are taught from a young age implicitly and many times explicitly to not own their voice and to not tell their stories and yes. to not speak up. And it's important that we, you know, go on this, you know, mission <laughs> to help women yeah. own their voice and tell their stories. And whether that's written or verbal or in a small group or on a list, like all the many ways that women can express, I want to continue and encourage us that it's okay to do that. I agree with you that this is gendered. It's also racial yeah. and every other kind of way that, you know, in the rest of culture that certain voices yeah. are celebrated over others. Yes. We should expect to see that show up in the world of writing and publishing. And it mm-hmm. does. I mean, mm-hmm. I read a statistic once and I don't know how verified this is, but that 80% of books that are on the shelf are authored by men, but that 80% yeah. of, and 80% of books that are purchased are purchased by women. Man, So it is very gendered. And yes, this is interesting is. for me. And, and maybe you're like me too, that I've actually written books for mm-hmm. men before their name goes on the cover. And I don't feel any kind of weirdness about this. Mm-hmm. Like I get paid to do it. And it's, yep. I will talk about ghostwriting in a minute, but you know, I write the book, it goes on the shelf, it's authored by a man. And then 80% of books that are purchased are purchased by women. It's just an yeah. interesting power dynamic that shows up in yet another way in our culture where, you know, women are not given nearly as much space or permission to use their voices as men are. That's a hundred percent accurate. And it is very strange that it's this way. (laughs) Yeah. When you, when you say those statistics out loud, it's like, what? I mean, it doesn't even actually make sense. And then you find most of the ghostwriters are women, you know, like they really are. And so most of the women are writing the books that are (laughs) supposedly written by men. Yeah. It's it doesn't, I don't feel any kind of way about it. It's a job, you, you know, you get hired to do it yep. um, and it is what it is, but it is like an interesting power dynamic. I wholeheartedly agree that a woman's to just have a woman write the book that a man is writing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a strange thing. <laughs> so tell me then how, how did it happen for you that mm-hmm. you felt the urge, the confidence, the, you know, tenacity, whatever it was to be like, not only am I going to enjoy this experience called writing, but I'm going to take my words and share them publicly on a blog or on Instagram or in a book. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, working in that safe little space of, you know, kind of on my own for many, many years, and same as you, I, I adopted the the title writer very early, even when I was like a waitress, <laughs> when I was yeah, yeah. working as an executive assistant, like it didn't bother me to call myself a writer, because I had done it for so long, it felt like the right rhythm and the right word. And I think that, you know, I had to push through some of those barriers that we all do, like, is the work perfect? No, it isn't. But should I publish it? Yes, I should. You know, I had to push through, yeah. you know, the barrier of feeling like no one's going to read this. And what does that say about me and my work? And I just had to remind myself, it doesn't actually matter who reads it. And it doesn't say anything about my work. There are plenty of writers totally. who can run circles around me who don't have people reading their writing. And that was, that was me for a really long time. And so I think just pushing past that inner voice that tells you not to publish, that you shouldn't put your work out there, that it's not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that your stories aren't good, that nobody would want to read it. You kind of just have to go, you know what? No, I'm a writer and I'm going to put this out there and come hell or high water. Whoever reads it, whoever pays attention to it, I don't care. And I thought, God, if just one person reads this, then then that's a win for me because I want to have my work out there in the world. And so that beginning stage of pushing past really came from dealing with mental barriers and then also having a really encouraging group of friends who were just like, yes. put your work out there. It's awesome. I love your stories. And they were always encouraging me. And for years, that's been true. So I think every writer needs a couple of people in their life who will read their work and give honor where it's due. Yeah, <laughs> and, I And agree. vice versa. When it's bad, they'll be like, that's bad. Maybe you should just um, rework <laughs> just keep that. keep this one yeah. to yourself. <laughs> Correct. You're bleeding on a page. Maybe that story's not ready, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those, and you need that too. But yeah, we need encouraging voices around us to help us get it out there. So that's a different angle to this similar question, which is how do you know when you're ready to share on a particular topic. I mean, you mentioned this idea of bleeding on the page, which I mean, a lot of great writing comes from bleeding on the page, I I think. Mm -hmm. So how do you know when you're ready to share on a particular topic? Mm -hmm. Okay. So great question. I mean, I have, I have one heck of a background in a story. I mean, everything from addiction to eating disorders, abortion, I was sexually assaulted as a young woman. And I know I'm kind of rattling that off. And for a listener that could be like, whoa, took a dark turn there. Um, but I, <laughs> and I'm saying it casually more because it happened a very long time ago. And I've been writing and talking about it for a very long time. Cause I deeply desire to create spaces where people feel seen and known and where we can share our pain and share our stories. And yeah. so that's a, a deep abiding passion of mine. And so learning to tell these stories, you know, um, is it can it can be a tricky thing. And I think the same as human boundaries when you're trying to figure out how to relate to others. And sometimes you do it wrong and sometimes you do it right. It's like there is a messiness that comes to sharing personal stories. And sometimes it can feel like, wow, I'm so glad that I put that out there. And other times it can be like, whoa, I don't think I was quite ready for that. That feels a little bit like re-traumatizing myself. I'm going to take that down or I'm going to reword this or, you know, we all have to kind of do that messy process and it won't be perfect every time. And that's one of the things I'm very passionate about when it comes to story. It's like story is not supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to be messy. And sometimes we're going to get it wrong. And as a people, especially here in the West, we have been taught that, you know, perfection is the goal and not wholeness, Mm -hmm. not getting stuff out there, not, you know, um, working through a process together. But for me, I just wanted to make sure that I was healed from things enough 
to um, be able to receive criticism from others who really don't care about me and don't like my work and let, let that not affect me. So if I had an issue yeah. that I felt like, man, if people were to critique me on this, I don't think I could handle it. Then I just didn't put it up. I'm like, this, this needs more time. And yeah. then in, on some things like, you know, talking about abortion, for example, which I'm very passionate about doing or talking about sexual assaults or the different things that I speak about on a regular basis, addiction, for example, I think that it helps me push the reason I've, I've gone through a lot of healing with group therapy, you know, support groups, recovery work, you know, great friendship circles, all the things, but also I can push through all the nonsense because I think to myself, there is someone out there who needs to hear a story for the first time. Yes. And I want to give them the gift of going second. And so I care yeah. more about that person than I do about someone who's going to be upset that I'm even talking about the issue, or they're going to label me a certain way, or they're going to, sure. you know, do the things that they do because I care about the person who is in so much pain like I used to be. I care about the person who feels so isolated and lonely like I used to be. I care about the person who's thinking about making a step out of that difficult place that they're in like I used to be. And so for me, that allows me to push past story. But step one, of course, is is to heal and to give yourself space to heal and to recognize when you know, you've gone a little bit too far. You weren't quite ready to, to do something or share something. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it's a messy process. So I know that was a, a bit long-winded just to say, I don't think there's a, a formulaic way to do this. No, it, I mean, everything that you shared there is really important and stuff we haven't talked about on the show before. I've never heard anyone explain it that way about the messiness of sharing you know, just sort of like, it's like bumper bowling, right? Like you're, yes. you're trying to figure out like where the middle of the lane is Yeah, and it's okay for it to be a little bit confusing and messy in the beginning when you're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to share something. I'm going to see how I feel. And if I feel terrible, I can pull it down and I can decide not to do that again. But yeah, no one's ever talked about that before. I mean, I feel like it's so, it, we can get so focused on like having rules or guidelines or boundaries or yes. knowing exactly how to do it. And the truth of the matter is none of us know exactly how to do it. We're all yes. just figuring it out as we go. That's right. <laughs> so that feels super important. And then the other thing you said that I, that I just want to, I want to draw out and linger on for a second is this idea of remembering that there are people like there's a real person, a single person yes. out there in the world who reads what you've written and whose life, like a real human life that's really yeah. affected and changed by what you're saying. And this is important for so many reasons, but one of the things that I've been on a, a rant about lately is this idea of building a platform and how absurd it is. And I get a lot of pushback from people who are like, well, you need a platform to get a publishing contract. And sure, yes, you do. Yeah. But even if you have a quote unquote platform, which what does that even mean? Exactly. Let's just say, you know, I have like 14 and a half thousand followers on Instagram or whatever, or mm-hmm. someone else has a million followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Let's just say you've got that platform, these people on Instagram. The minute you begin to think about it as 14 and a half thousand people or a million people mm-hmm. is the minute you lose sight of what you're really doing, which is speaking to a person out Come there on. who's yes. really reading what you're really writing and who's really, it's really having an impact on them. As soon as we start thinking about it, like, well, how can I post something that's going to get more likes or, you know, I just feel like it distorts what the beauty of the writing process is, which is that we get to like share our intimate, vulnerable stories with one other person. Yes. They get to have an experience with it. That's transformative for them. And it's like, you know, it's the connective tissue of being human. Ooh, the connective tissue of being human. You really are a writer. That's amazing. <laughs> 
I love that. And I'm so with you. I feel like I've had to really make the switch on social media. You know, my background is being a justice advocate and I'm still doing that today. I was a pastor in the past, like a prison chaplain. I mean, I've done a lot of different work around, you know, single, single individuals and cultivating community Mm -hmm. that is safe and um, sacred. And so I really love this, exactly what you're saying. And I've had to make the switch on social media where it's like, how can I serve? Like, if I have Mm. to turn up here because of the work that I want to do, which is true for me, then how can I serve? Like, what? how can I add value? And sometimes that can be humor, you know, like making people laugh. Or sometimes that can be connecting with them on an issue, offering them a tool in my belt that I have that's really helped and blessed me. Like, how can I serve? And that has helped me so much on social media to not be driven by likes and not be driven by numbers and not be driven by platforms. Because yes, as you said, it is important for writers, it, depending on your space, depending on what you're writing. If you're writing a fiction book, it doesn't really matter if you have 300 followers on Instagram. No one cares. Like it's a, yeah. it's, a different, it's a different world. But in my field, I do have to care about it. So making that jump to how can I serve and who's on the other end of this and what would bring a blessing to their day or what would challenge them mm. in their thinking, especially in this last like political polarizing season that we've gone through. You know, I, I got a lot of pushback on some things that I talked about and I don't care because it's like, I want. Yeah. there's so much misinformation out there. I want to be talking about issues like race and I want to be talking about single issue voting and I want to be talking about yeah. all these things that are important to me so I can serve the people that, that are journeying with me and that are allowing me to journey with them because that is such a better life experience in general. And then it makes, you know, this whole social media thing less about my self-worth and who likes me and doesn't like me and more about, hey, I'm turning up and owning my voice and I want to encourage you to do the same. And I like that space so much better. So much better. You and me both. Yeah. Yeah. That idea that we're moving from social media being about validating our self-worth to being about how we can serve. So yes. good. Okay. I want to talk about, uh, we'll get to the ghostwriting piece, but first mm-hmm. I want to talk about your book mm-hmm. because it's always a big moment in a writer's career when they decide to go from writer to author. Yeah. And it can be a bit overwhelming. I know from having done it and worked with so many other people who have done it. And there's this moment when you're like, I'm not sure I can do this, but I I think I want to take what I've been doing, you know, through blog posts or whatever else and Mm -hmm. turn it into the format of a book. Can you talk about what made you decide to do that? Yes. Well, for me, it was a a lifelong dream to have a published book in the world. And for me, it was a lot about timing as well. Like I just, it wasn't the right time. And I'm so glad that I didn't write the book that I just wrote 10 years ago. Cause I think that I had Mm. different beliefs and different values. And I think I would have said a lot of dumb things that potentially I regret. And so I'm so (laughs) thankful that writing my first book happened when it did. And I wrote a book called rise of the truth teller. And I really love the book. It is about owning your voice. It's about about telling it like it is. It's about living your life with holy gumption. Like, how do you wake up with that kind of spirited courage every day in your ordinary life? You know, how do you put two feet on the ground and keep going in this world that we're living in? And I wanted to use the lens of story, which clearly I'm so passionate about, to be able to talk about hard things. And I wanted to mm. share from my personal experiences what it looks like to do that. And I really loved writing that book and making that journey. And it felt a bit more graceful than I think it would have had I had I pushed the publishing path earlier in my life. And so I think it, it did feel a bit more graceful. What I wasn't prepared for, though, I will tell you, is I didn't realize how much work authors have to do outside of writing 
So I was unprepared (laughs) for all the things that you do for free. It's like a 40 hour work week with zero pay, you know? Oh yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, I do it with joy, but I wasn't prepared for that. And I wish someone had prepared me for it. Um, most writers out there are not, they don't have assistance. They're creating content all the time. That's free. That is Mm -hmm. downloadable. That is on social media that goes alongside the book. And I was blessed to have a publisher that did do a lot of things for me, but at the same time, it's really all centered around launch. It's almost like wedding day, right? Like there's a preparation for a wedding, but then you have a marriage that comes next. And I feel like books are the same way. Like you have launch day for your book and then you have the life of your book. (laughs) Yeah. And I kind of was unprepared for that, for how to, how to continue to put the book out there. And I faced a great deal of resistance in myself. I'm, I'm a very bad salesperson. So I don't enjoy being like, buy my book, buy my book. And so I don't think that I've been as successful there as I, I'd, I'd like to have been. But I also think that I've tried to be as authentic in the process as possible. But those are the two things I wasn't prepared for, sort of selling the book myself and also all the work that is required for a book launch and then the life of the book afterward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, important points there to focus on. Number one, if you're listening and you have a book you'd like to write, I tell all the authors that we work with at Find Your Voice that you, when you decide to write a book, you become not only a writer, but also a marketer. Yes. <laughs> and so spot you're, on. you're not only your own writer, <laughs> but you're also your own salesperson and nobody else is going to sell your book. Yep. It's, it's all on you. And like you said, there are publishers will offer varying degrees of support. I find usually the support authors get as much, there's usually an adjustment of expectations. It's much less than what yes. the author, like an author signs a contract with a book, with a, with a uh, publisher. And they think like, Oh, thank God. They, they know how to sell my book. Right. And the fact of the matter is they don't know how to sell your book. Mm-hmm. They're counting on you to use your audience and your expertise to sell the book. So yes. yeah, a huge adjustment of expectations for so many authors there. And the other side of that is that I I hear people complain, it's probably too strong of a word, but talk about like the price of books mm-hmm. and almost in a way, like it's so much money. Right. And it always makes me laugh. Cause I'm like, if you had any idea how hard an author works and not, this yes. is not like pay us for how hard we've worked. It's more like an author takes the most valuable thing that they know to yes. share with you. You know, uh-huh. they've whittled it down to the, to the bare minimum of what they want to share with you. And it's either like a, a really important life story or a message or an idea or a yeah. framework or something. And they've, you know, given like great effort over months and months and months and years of time Correct. to deliver this to you in the way that is the most effective and compelling. And they deliver it to you for the price of a movie ticket. <laughs> And people are like, gosh, books are so expensive. I wish I could own it. And I'm just like, this is, you know, you go to a movie and it's over in an hour and a half. I'm like, this book is going to last you for weeks. You can take it right. into the bath with you and into bed with you. And it's like right. entertainment. And it's, but I think we've kind of gotten out of the mode where we find, we think, we don't think of books as entertainment. We think of it as education. And maybe we don't place, place as high of a value on that. Mm. But yeah, for, for those of you who are listening who consume books, I think it's just a helpful like reset of our expectations or just a reminder to be like, every time I purchase a book, the author, first of all, gets 10% of royalties. So they're getting like 25 cents. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. No, no one's making big money here unless they're yeah. selling like 500,000 copies. <laughs> yeah. And so you're, you're, you're getting way more than you're paying for. And I yeah. just think that's a, a good, happy reminder for consumers out there who mm-hmm. read books. Such a, such a good point. <laughs> So 
There's a difference in writing your own book and writing someone else's book. And I'd love to talk mm-hmm. about that. Can we talk a little bit about ghostwriting? Yes. So ghostwriting people, I feel like are kind of like really either morbidly curious about ghostwriting or they're like incensed when they realize that there's this thing that happens <laughs> where one person writes a book and someone else's name goes on it. And I, I've done a ton of ghostwriting in my life and I've never talked about it publicly because it's weird and it's hard to explain to people. Right. But let's talk about, I mean, first start by just explaining to people who don't know what ghostwriting is. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of authors out there that may have a full-time job or different things like that, or perhaps they're a full-time speaker and maybe writing is just not their, their bag. Like they are excellent speakers, but there's a a big difference between speaking and writing. Like the, the written voice is so different than the speaking voice. So a lot of people need help making that transition. So many publishers and many people who would like to be an author will hire what is called a ghostwriter. And a ghostwriter basically signs a contract to commit to writing this book within a certain period of time. And usually that includes author interviews, transcripts, going through speaking videos, like all the different things, coming up with topics, working around chapters, uh, engaging personal stories. And then the ghostwriter takes all of that kind of collateral and builds a book out of that. And um, when you build the book for the other person and writing that ghostwriting, you know, your name is not on the book. You probably get a thank you at the end in the acknowledgements, but you're not on the book and you sign up to do that. And part of that is, you know, what you said, people get incensed about it, but part of it is I really enjoyed it, to be honest. I enjoyed- Same. Yeah. I liked working with people and maybe it's because I enjoy, like you, Allie, I enjoy helping people find their voice. And it isn't as if someone who's hiring, a go- who has the means and resource to hire a ghostwriter isn't doing quality work. Like they have a lot of content already. They have a lot of incredible stories. Like they are doing really amazing work. Just write, they either don't have time to write a full book or it's just really not in their wheelhouse to do it. And so they hire a ghostwriter. Yeah. I always say that too. It's either, it's either time or expertise. Right. And it's not like someone couldn't learn, but when you have someone who's, you know, an Olympic athlete or, um, running like a massive organization and they've got, you know, a full-time job and then some are ready, uh, they might have ideas that are really valuable to share with the world, but they don't, it's just not on the top of their priority list to carve out the time to try to figure out how to make it, it happen. So I always think of it like, you know, a few different people bringing their skill set to the table. You've got the the writer on the project. You've got the author who's the ideator. Mm -hmm. Then you have an editor and then you have, you know, a sales team, a marketing team, everybody else is, everybody's bringing their separate skill set to the table. And it's this collaborative effort to bring a product into the world. Yes. You said it way better. <laughs> oh, no, that's not true. Just adding, adding, adding. What is the difference in the experience of writing a book for someone else versus writing a book for yourself? Gosh. Okay. So I believe that it's a whole lot easier for me personally. Maybe that's not yes. true of every ghostwriter. I'm glad it's no, true for I'm you glad too. you're saying this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much easier for me to write for another person. And the caveat there is if the person is so very inexperienced that the writing that they do turn over, it just needs so much work because sometimes that editing process can just be pretty exhaustive. But if they just turn over full control to you, then that's easier. It's like, here, I need a story here. I need a thought here. I love this over there. I'm going to, yeah. I can just craft things well. And so I think that that part comes so 
smoothly to me. And in a way, you know, it's not all on you. It's like, I'm not putting my full self out there. I'm writing in another person's voice. And so that feels so much easier than, you know, writing in my own voice and editing myself and figuring out what stories I want to share and say, like, because the onus isn't on me when it's not my book. (laughs) So I, I enjoy it, frankly, and it's not a stressful process for me. It's an enjoyable process. And um, it's easier for me to write in another person's voice. It's also why I really enjoy, you know, copywriting and things like that for others. When I have the opportunity to do it, I enjoy that because it's so easy for me. <laughs> I know I'm with you too. It feels like the difference between writing as a job, you know, like it's like you clock in and you do your work and you mm-hmm. get a paycheck to do it and you mm-hmm. clock out. And it's just sort of like the boundaries are really, the emotional boundaries are really clear because you're not too close to this thing versus working on your own, especially if you're writing a personal story or a memoir or or a project that feels like really close to your heart. It feels like there's just no boundary, at least for me. I'm always just like, it like permeates every part of my life and I can't Mm -hmm. stop thinking about it and I'm kind of obsessive over it and it never really feels like it's done. And, you know, you put all these hundreds and thousands of hours into it and then you don't really get paid paid to do it. Totally. It feels like a totally (laughs) different experience that for me, I like attaching my paycheck to the first way and then making sure that my art that I'm sharing with the world that I like to feel like, you know what, there's no, there's no expectation here. Like if this book sells a million copies, great. And if it doesn't sell a single copy, fine. It's not on you. Yep. Totally. I am so with you. And you're not the marketing team for that book either. You know, it's, it's exactly what you said. You're a piece in the long chain (laughs) that you're, you're one link in that chain. And I I enjoy that as well. Like it's, it's, it has a beginning and thank God it has an end. Unlike a book that you write. And I enjoy the, the long part of having a book in the world. So I hope you guys hear me, but at the same time, it is very different to go like this starts and this ends. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one last question about ghostwriting. I'm curious if you can talk about the author's involvement in the process too. Mm -hmm. And you kind of touched on this, but one thing I always find it really important to emphasize is that this is not like an author goes like, I have an idea. You talk to them for 30 minutes and then you're like, I'll be back in six months with a book. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) So yeah, just talk about how involved an author is in this process and how, and the challenge of really getting the book to sound like them. Yes. Okay. So, uh, for me, I've always, I've had the, the pleasure of working people, we're working with people that had a lot of uh, verbal content in the world. And so that was helpful for me because then I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to videos. I can be driving in my car and sort of start to adopt the person's voice. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy doing that. And then I always have an author complete a book proposal. If they have not done that yet, then I'll have them complete a book proposal first. And here's why, because the book proposal really forces you to think about what you want to say. Like you have to boil it down, like distill all this great content that you have down to this one idea that you're trying to communicate to an audience. And then from there, they have to build out chapters. And so in the building out of chapters, let's say they have 10 or they have 13 or whatever the the chapters that they have, then now I know direction of the book, arc of the book, what this is going to look like, how we can divide it into, you know, three parts or how we're going to write here. And then we can start to list stories underneath each chapter. So as I'm going through and building a book, I like to start with that framework. What's our big idea? What are the chapters? What stories need to go underneath the chapters? And then what kind of content do they already have that I can begin to pull from? If that's from blogs, if that's from speaking, if that's from podcast interviews, TV interviews, whatever it might be, then I'm able to kind of pull all of that out. And so it is a quite a collaborative process. The work is obviously much more on the ghostwriter, but there is a lot required in terms of content from the author. Yeah. And um, I appreciate that process because I think it also forces the author to think about what they 
really want to say. And in all cases where I've done ghostwriting, there has always been a chapter or two where the author will say, I just want to write this one. And can you edit it and tweak it and make it sound smoother and rough out my transitions because they just have a deep burning passion about one particular thing. Yeah. And I also really like that because editing, I love uh, to do. I think editing is so much fun. I actually think it might be better than the than the writing process when it comes to ghostwriting. I enjoy doing it very much. Um, and so I like to kind of clean and tweak and move content around and help people with rough transitions. Like that is what I really enjoy doing. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of the process of the book and, and the author's very, very involved. So it's not, it's not hands off. <laughs> yes. And many totally. times you might have to go back and interview them like, Hey, I, I need 30 minutes on the phone with you this week. Cause I don't really understand this story and it makes sense to you, but it doesn't make sense to me. Cause I wasn't born yeah. there. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. Yeah. Great. Like forward, um, candid conversations and I, I enjoy it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think what, what you're emphasizing there is what really matters, which is that no author gets away without really thinking through critically how they want to present their information, yes. even if they have a ghostwriter who's executing the actual writing for them. Yes. And to listeners, just a little side note, this is kind of a fun inside thing to get to know. Most people don't know this, but when you walk into a bookstore, whenever we get to do that again, <laughs> when you walk into a bookstore or you're shopping for books online, wherever you shop for books, Sometimes ghostwriters are truly hidden and you wouldn't have any idea that there was there was a ghostwriter. Although, like yeah. Ashley mentioned, you could check the acknowledgments. But a lot of times on the cover of a book, there's the author's name really big. It'll say by, you know, whoever the author is, Howard Schultz. And below the author's name, it'll say with, yeah. and then it'll have a much smaller name. Usually that's the ghostwriter yeah. or co-writer on the project. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to start to notice that. I feel like you get like a little inside, you know, info into the industry and you can pay attention to who those people are and you could actually Google search them and yeah. and start to follow along with people who are really gifted writers and who maybe don't get as much credit out yes. there in the world. Yes. That's beautiful. Okay. Last question I have for you today, Ashley, is when it comes to your writing and sharing your voice with the world, this is obviously a very emotional process. It's mm-hmm. spiritual. It's complicated. There's resistance. There are all the things. What is it for you that keeps you coming back to this process again and again? Oh my gosh. You know what? Writing just burns in my veins. I don't know another way to say it. I mean, there's just, there's no way for me not to return to the page. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm sure everyone listening would have that thing where they're like, there's no way I can't not return to this. Like it burns within me. And I feel like that's, that's true for me with writing. And I can tell if I get to the end of the week and I have not spent a little time journaling or processing my thoughts. And I'm, I'm part of a weekly writing group every Saturday morning for this exact reason, because I need space to be able to write and to create with no expectations. And Mm. I just love it. I can't not do it. Yeah, (laughs) I'm with you. We, you and I share so much in common. It's amazing to me. I got someone, I think it was one of my, one of our clients at find your voice who years ago was like, uh, you know, a couple years ago was like, you have to meet this Ashley Abercrombie girl and you and I followed each other on Instagram. And then we never really connected until more recently, but I'm so glad that we are in each other's orbit now because we're just, we have so much in common and hopefully we'll find lots more ways to work together. Yes. I hope so. I love the work that you're doing. You're a wonderful human being. (laughs) Thanks. How are you? Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for sharing all of your wisdom and insight with us. We're, we're really grateful. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. If you have a book, you know, you need to write 
But every time you try to sit down and actually put words on the page, you end up frustrated or confused about what you're actually doing. Our Prepare to Publish self-study course is an affordable and easy way to finally finish that book you've always wanted to write. Prepare to Publish self-study is a 90-day self-guided program that walks you through the process of outlining your book and finishing your book proposal document, which is the key document to getting agents and publishers to read your work. When you sign up for Prepare to Publish self-study, you get a digital workbook that walks you through the process of outlining your book step-by-step, teaching videos that pair with each of the assignments to make sure you're never confused or lost, and access to our resource library where you can learn things like how to find a literary agent or the differences between self-publishing and traditional publishing. At the end of the 90 days, you'll not only have a completed book outline, you'll have a finished book proposal document, which is your golden ticket to securing meetings with agents and publishers. But even more than that, this document is the Bible you will use for writing your book. Imagine a world where you didn't sit around for a decade wondering if you would ever publish your book. What if you could actually finish? That dream is closer than ever with Prepare to Publish Self-Study. To get started today, register at findyourvoice.com slash publish. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.